Welcome to We Talk Soccer, a podcast by two United fans. I'm Caleb. I'm Notch. And I'm Sasha. This week we finally get our review of the NWSL Challenge Cup. Arsenal pick up a trophy and they didn't just find it on the side of the road. And Minnesota United <laughs> overcome stunning odds to win yet again in the greatest sport story ever told in the history of the universe. They'll make a movie about this someday. Leonardo DiCaprio will play Heath, and Ben Affleck will be Boxall, and it'll just be it'll just be the most mind blowing it'll win so many Oscars. Welcome to We Call It Soccer, the podcast where I've considered writing bad reviews of us on iTunes to motivate you guys and me to do better. Because, as we all it know, would, when when I, everyone thinks it, it would not work. <laughs> It'd be just like, uh, why are we doing this? Nobody seems to like us. But guys, we could prove them wrong. <laughs> um, We're like the underdogs of podcasts. <laughs> Guys, here's my here's my question for you this week. What is your story of overcoming stunning odds to achieve success? Well, this uh, is gonna be like very personal. Um, I grew up playing chess, and because I had a sister who was a year older, I always played with her. And historically, she would always beat me. And then uh, one day at the Renaissance Fair, we played that the, that giant set of chess. And uh, and I defeated her, and it was like the most glorious thing because there was a crowd and there was these giant pieces, and it was just it was so memorable. Even though we had both been become garbage at playing the game, that that was my personal achievement. Uh, I was in uh, track in high school, and my senior year it was a conference champions championship, and uh, I was running in the eight hundred. And for all three years of high school, this, the same kid from a different school won the 800. And on the final lap, on the final turn, I passed him on the turn, which you're not supposed to do because you're actually running more than they are. Mm-hmm. I passed him on the turn and beat him by a full second for first place in the 800. Nice. Did you get a big medal? Is it somewhere special in your house I, now? Not to Brad, but through between cross-country and track, I have a lot of medals. And they were all on my letter jacket, and Ooh. I could never sneak out because they would just jangle, jangle. Do do you do you like wear your your letter jacket now, like in a Corvette <laughs> somewhere? You know, slicking back your hair with uh, pomade, singing songs. Notch, would you ask Prefontaine if he still wore his letter jacket? Come on. <laughs> we're basically the same person. No, it's also, no I, it's in a box downstairs. Man, if I had a letter jacket, I'd wear it all the time. Maybe I'd rip off the sleeves and be like, I don't give a shit about my past successes. But check out these medals. Um, <laughs> but hey, uh, it, it, speaking of uh, successes and medals, uh, thank you to all of our patrons who continue to support this show. And uh, we, we really appreciate all of the, the messages you send us in Slack, all of the, the support you give us on Patreon as well. Hope you're enjoying the exclusive content. Caleb, can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits that our patrons see? Uh, for $3, you can join our Slack channel. We're engaged in all the bants, hashtag bants with a Z that we have there. It's it's pretty hilarious. For $5, you can get... Uh, <laughs> Uh, there are extended, extended discussions 
Um, every week we cut something out of this of the episode. This week it's a Senate discussion with Rachel Creeter of the Equalizer about the Houston Dash and their championship run, the Challenge Cup. Uh, for ten dollars you can get our solo episodes where we talk about things other than soccer. Which who knew we had the capability of doing that? I didn't. <laughs> for twenty five dollars you get a special thank you at the end of the episode and stickers sent to you through the mail. And for $1,000, you made uh, Notch say good things about the American soccer club, uh, Atlanta. Not the Italian team, Atlanta. Please stop asking me these questions. It's Atlanta United in Georgia, not Atlanta, the team in the Champions League in Italy. I, I will say nice things about Atalanta anytime, but you try to get me to say nice things about Atlanta United, you're going to get, you know, not that. Unless you got $1,000, in which case I will say anything you want about Atlanta United that you want. Hey, I would just need the country of Georgia to get like an Atlanta team, so there's more confusion. Right. <laughs> uh, they'll probably get a player called Martin Joseph, and you know, kind of go from there. <laughs> so, <laughs> Martin Josevich. Right. Hey, and uh, one final request before we move on to the hashtag content. Please tell your friends about this podcast. We appreciate getting new listeners. We hope you like enjoying listening to this podcast. Review us on iTunes and tell your friends to also listen to us as well. We very much appreciate it. Okay, with that, it's time for us to move and into also, the first. And, just, and also sign up your friends for our Patreon. Yeah, tell them to yeah. give us $1,000. Be like, Do it without their knowledge. Man, I hate how much Notch this is Atlanta United. I just need to shut him up. Will you help me? Um, steal their phone and their credit card. Sign them up for the Patreon and then put the stuff back. It's not stealing if you don't put it back. Uh, we, By the way, we have some fun Atlanta United news talk this week. I think that's going to be fun. But uh, let's, uh, let's move on to our first segment of the show, Bad Guys. Yeah, segment where we discuss American soccer's bad guys, the top divisions, MLS and NWSL. First up this week, our long overdue review of the NWSL Challenge Cup. With us, again, Rachel Krieger, who joined us for our NWSL preview. Well, a lot's happened since you were last here, Rachel. A lot has happened. A whole tournament has happened. Another tournament is pretty much almost finished and the usl is just doing whatever the heck the usl wants to do (laughs) that's the best that's the best way i can summarize it (laughs) the usl is super spreading uh okay no need to respond to that um how many how many words have you churned through since your last appearance over here oh my god um well the nice thing was is that i didn't have to recap like every game for last word i was just like task to do whatever I could because I was working for Equalizer as well. Um, oh, gosh. I, I did churn a lot, though, so it was a lot of fun. I got to do some cool features, which was which was exciting to do. So it was a good tournament. For sure. And, and, and that's actually a great point to jump off on, which is that this tournament happened without a single COVID case in the bottle. Now, the day after you were on our pod, Orlando did have to exit the tournament this is true so uh but that was before the you know before all of this happened and not the the tournament went out without a hitch yeah it was it was really good i was really um 
impressed with how the NWSL handled everything, Lisa Baird and just everyone involved. Um, no positive COVID tests at all for the players, the staff and whatnot. I know there was like one positive test for like somebody on the cleaning crew, but they got um, that figured out pretty quick. Yeah, and also I got I gotta say a lot of plaudits for the TV coverage on CBS and the coverage on Twitch uh, that we were able to view. Which uh, I, what one statistic that I wasn't expecting to see was a sideline reporter Marissa Pia had did all twenty three games, which is that is a shift and a half. Yeah, she's a beast. And then I mean, like those hours are not easy to do the uh, to do the. It was ten a.m. over in Utah. And like 8 p.m. over in Utah as well. So those are not easy shifts to do. No, you kind of like turn off. And like when I work long days like that, it's hard enough. But then when you have to turn off halfway through the day and then come back on and it's every day, um, that's rough stuff. But can you tell me a little bit about your reaction to like how CBS presented the games? Uh, I don't know if you caught any on Twitch. I did not. Um, if that was um, if that was something that... Uh, I think met expectations where there are some new things that were uh, interesting. Like the crowd noise for one was a, is a major distinction, I think, between MWS and all the other American soccer we've seen so far. Yeah, I thought CBS's coverage was was really, really good. I enjoyed the pregame show. I loved being able to see Sandra get her spotlight um, on television and on the pregame show. Um, but I thought the whole tournament was really good. I thought um, another person who put in a lot of work and a lot of shifts was Mike Watts because he was not just doing um, those NWSL games, but he was doing some USL games too. Mm, so wow. a big credit to him. He did um, all the games except for like the opener and the final, right? I think, yeah, I think so. Because okay. Jen Hildreth uh, was the was the play by play for the opener and the final, um, but they both did a really good job, and I thought the coverage was just absolutely outstanding. Now, do you think that the fact that there was a group stage where everybody went through rather than one team being out? Do you think that 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 affected the way teams played? Like, was the seating was there some more experimentation because of that? Yeah, there was definitely a lot more um, tinkering done by teams. I think a lot of those teams that have younger players, and we'll get to them in a bit, like the Portlands and the Chicago's of the of the NWSL world, they were able to kind of tinker around and and mess with some formations and lineups, and you know get some of those big name players out because. You know, something we might touch on is that U.S. soccer was kind of putting their foot down and saying which players were allowed to play so many minutes and whatnot. Um, I think it was interesting to see coaches kind of take the stars out and give the younger kids some time to shine. And it's it's interesting you bring up U.S. soccer's role. That was something that Sasha brought up in one of our Slack channels. And I it wasn't something that I had, like been aware of that was it was a possibility did we know that something like this was going to happen but going into the tournament so we knew that U.S. soccer was going to at least monitor and I believe they had either one or two of their doctors um physios whatever going to Utah to kind of check in on the players and those players who are kind of on the on the bubble no pun intended, um, <laughs> <laughs> on the bubble like Lynn Williams and like Jane Campbell and stuff like that. Um, but U.S. soccer, for some reason, the only player they really put their foot down about was Rose Lavelle. And that was just 
Um, and they're still doing that with, you know, her potential move to Europe. But that's a different conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, U.S. soccer was just kind of there to not really play big brother, big sister with um, the NWSL as a whole, but with the national team players. And, you know, some coaches were silent about it. And some coaches like Richie Burke, Rose Lavelle's coach, were a lot more vocal about it. Why don't we take this opportunity, since we're already kind of sidelining into it, to to talk about some of the, well, all the teams. Just go down real quick, recap how their tournaments went. You know, we were just talking about the spirit, so let's start with them. Um, Rose Lavelle was limited to, what, 30 minutes? Is that what you said, Sasha? Yeah, I think three minutes in the quarterfinal against Sky Blue, right? Yep. And, and, I mean, that that's tough for a team that was kind of... They, they were the showpiece was their offense and it's it, to have one of your best players just arbitrarily not be able to play um i can see why the coach would be mad yeah richie burke was not happy about it <laughs> um he had said that you know i wanted to play rose lavelle a lot more than what i was able to do um but you know u.s soccer kind of hovering over them made uh, that really made the decision for them. But, I mean, Washington, you know, we talked about them a lot last year about how young they were and how um, new to the whole professional game they were. They had so many rookies uh, in Jordan DiBiase, Tegan McGrady, uh, Sam Staub coming into the league. So this year those players finally had a, a year under their belt, and I think that definitely helped. The, the match to Sky Blue was a good one, obviously, um, one of – three quarterfinals that went down to penalty kicks and you know penalty kicks are one of those it's anybody's game type of thing but I thought Washington overall had a pretty good tournament I think they need to figure out um, a good partnership for Ashley Hatch in case Rose Lavelle does go down because Ashley Hatch had a really good first second and third game and then she kind of fizzled out as the tournament went on and that's because Rose Lavelle wasn't on the field with her when those two were on the field together they were connecting really really well but when one of them was off it was just kind of wonky in the attack and in the midfield but um, I was particularly impressed too with Washington's defense Seeing a player like Tegan McGrady come back after missing, I mean, three-fourths of the season last year, maybe more than that, what and seeing her have a really good tournament was awesome. Paige Nielsen um, and her jacked arms are just a monster to the league. Um, and then Tori Huster is going to be Tori Huster, and she's just an amazing veteran who just knows how to play any position in the midfield and the defense that you throw at her. So I think Washington had an overall good tournament. I think there's definitely still building blocks that they need to work on. Also, got to give a shout to Ashley Sanchez, who finished uh, tied for most goals in the tournament and was named the future legend. Uh, so that's, you know, no, no and pressure had there. a ridiculous assist in, I think, that last group stage game. Yeah, yeah. We, we it's what was fourth draft pick this year, something like that. I forget. I think that. she was like four or three. I don't remember. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's nice to say, like, like you were saying, with with uh, some of the kind of younger players taking the the, or uh, also players we haven't seen as regularly taking the forefront in this tournament. Uh, it's kind of nice to see someone like that break out. Um, Chicago Red Stars, we had, uh, let's talk about them next because they were in the finals with the dash. Um, I was interested to see that they, apparently, 
you, maybe you know a little bit more about this. They divided their team into two for training for this tournament. Uh, that I don't know about. That's the first I'm hearing about that. I'm sure that's true because Rory just does whatever Rory wants. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, this was this is something I, I read on, I think it was American Soccer Analysis, had uh, the, the fact that they, they divided their team into two groups of 14 and trained and prepared each group separately, which is interesting. <laughs> I feel I, like it... Yeah, I would be interested to see how they, you know, split up the groups, like who was in what group. Every, everybody gets a knife and, you know, you gotta like... <laughs> there's only 14 knives and 28 people and, you know... Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> um, you, it chose uh, two team captains and did it a uh, playground style. Right. Uh, yeah, you just have to pick each person. I wonder who got picked last. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think one of the things that was surprising to me with the Red Stars was uh, they didn't seem to be an attacking powerhouse uh, until the knockout stages. Yeah, the ghost of Sam Kerr still lingers over that team. I know, I'm sorry, Chicago diehards, I said the trigger word. Um, but yeah, the the attacking players for Chicago were super <laughs> underwhelming. And th- really, through all five games, Kelia Ohiwat had so much pressure on her. I, th- I think it was unnecessary pressure because a lot of people were saying she needs to be that person to replace Sam Kerr. And, well, two things. You can't really replace Sam Kerr. And yeah. she, I mean, she had, she was good in Houston, but she wasn't, like, great in Houston um, when she was there for, I think, five maybe six years um but i think that just i expected more from katie johnson out of anyone because i think she's i mean she's a veteran and she's an international player for mexico and she's not entirely brand new to the team so i expected a little bit more from her rachel hill to me did not have a great tournament i she was just okay. I think, honestly, out of all four of the attackers, Savannah McCaskill probably had the best tournament. And that's not saying too much because she was just good at best. But the front four for, well, not four because they didn't all play at the same time. But the attacking, those attacking players really uh, underwhelmed for me for Chicago. But the, the cool thing about Chicago and Rory Dames is the ability to just find these younger players and to really do something with them. Like, yes, Kayla Sharples gave up that penalty kick in the final to the to Christy Muse and the Houston Dash. But o- other than that, she had a really, really good tournament. And then you find um, a player like Bianca St. George's, who just like Tegan McGrady was basically injured all of last year. And then she comes in and has a really good challenge cup. So I think that the younger players and those inexperienced players were really, really solid for Chicago and you know Rory loves his young players he loves his inexperienced players to get out there and just go for it and I and I like that I enjoyed watching it and um you know the players that you expected for Chicago to do well they did well and the only thing that I wanted to see more of and I understand because I believe she's coming off an ACL injury from last year or that or she was just injured for like the last three or four months of the season. Um, I wanted to see more of Michelle Vasconcelos because I think she's one of the most underrated players in the Chicago Red Stars jersey this year and last year. So it sounds, I mean, it sounds like maybe some additions needed up front, but the future looks bright. 
uh, for Chicago. I uh, think we should move on to talking about the Courage, who managed to get the title in the group stages. You know, they 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 got they got came in first as we were all expecting, but then got knocked out by the Thorns, uh, and I mean blew everyone's brackets up. Let's be honest. Uh, this is one of those things where. I think I, I fully expected when I opened the NWSL Best 11 to feature more North Carolina players than anybody else, but I'm still a little bit disappointed by that fact uh, that there were four of them in there. Although they probably deserved it. It just feels awkward, you know, that like there weren't more like Houston players or Chicago players. I think that Dabinia <laughs> deserved that for getting not, uh, for being left off of the best 11 last year. Um, but that was just a giant mess and nobody wants to remember the dark ages of that. Um, but yeah, North Carolina. So, um, <laughs> Now that they got knocked out and didn't win a title, we're going to hear Paul Riley call them the underdogs again for the next <laughs> year and a half. So, um, oh, I, lo- I love Paul Riley. You know all about that in Minnesota without all the trophies. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I love Paul Riley and I love him because everyone hates him and I don't understand why. But anyway, the one reason that I hated Paul Riley in this <laughs> tournament was they clinch the North Carolina Courage clinched the group stage first place, you know, seeding in after that third game. And so in that fourth game, they're playing Sky Blue FC. And like, not to knock on Sky Blue, they had a decent tournament. We'll talk about them later. But, you know, you already clinched the first uh, place spot. Why are you sending out your best 11? Why not rest those players? And yes, I can understand the argument of, well, it's consistency. But at the same time, when you have a tournament like this and you have these games close together, it just it didn't make sense to me. And even though he pulled them out at like halftime in the 60th minute and stuff like that, to me, it just kind of seemed like a waste. And I think that... Um, was a factor into the loss against Portland because I just think that they, like, they looked, North Carolina just looked tired against Portland in the quarterfinal game. And, I I mean, I don't blame the players, but at the same time, I think that loss was mainly on Paul Riley because he knows, I mean, he has depth. It's not like North Carolina doesn't have depth. They had some injuries. Allie Watt going out with an ACL, sadly, in the first game. Merritt Mathias coming back from an ACL injury. But, I mean, you have the depth. Why are you, it it just didn't make sense to me. But they're the underdogs. Right. I, I mean, I think this is the beauty of the format that we're seeing in both in this tournament and in the MLS's back tournaments. That it, and, and we've seen for many years in the World Cup, which is that your ability to manage your tournament with player choices, depth, adapting quickly to changes, to injuries, to things that you see your opponents trying makes a huge difference. It's not just, you know, the, the people who have the best squad who go the farthest. Um, and you can have, like, a gassed North Carolina coming up against the Thorns who get lucky uh, and and knock in the 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 one that counts. And uh, shout out to Lynn Williams, Abby Erseg, and Jalen Daniels, the other four players who made it into the best 11. Um, let's, let's move on to talking about the Thorns, though. And I, I want to spend just a second talking about Bella Bixby, who unfortunately ended oh. the tournament tragically with uh, the ACL injury, I believe, in, in the last... After the group stage, um, if I'm right, and just was was a breakout star for the group stage, though. Um, for my money, probably the best goalkeeper of the tournament. 
<laughs> Not according to the awards. Um, Kaylin Sheridan won the Golden Glove and didn't even make the best 11. Um, right. But, you know, Britt Eckerstrom made that goalkeeper best 11 spot and only played in two games. But And nothing to knock on her. I mean, Portland, when you're talking about goalkeeper depth, I mean, Portland, they had Nadine Ongerer suit up <laughs> for a match in the 18 just in case. Um but yeah, I think you know, Bella Bixby was so good in the tournament and she's one of those players. We talked about it a ton on the Equalizer podcast about what type of players are going to be playing for a chance to maybe get a starting spot with Louisville since that's the next expansion team. So to me, I think a lot of these you know scouts and whatnot from Louisville are looking at the Challenge Cup and all of them had Bella Bixby written down in their book as somebody that they needed to bring on. I hope Vlatko Andonovsky wrote her name down. Um, I just she had such a good tournament, and you know, not nothing to not knock on Brick Eckerstrom or Kaylin Sheridan, but I think that she definitely was the best goalkeeper um, of the entire tournament, without a doubt. She was, I believe, an Oregon former Oregon State player, or was it? Or I know she's she's. Went to college in Oregon. I can't remember if it was State or U. And, you know, I'm sure that's not a rivalry that I need to worry about trading on. Is it? No, it's the Oregon State Beavers. Okay. Uh, and so so it's kind of cool to see somebody who's uh, moving on to the to the professional team in the state. Uh, doing well. Wish her the best for the recovery. I think another thing we got to talk about, Portland, before we move on, is the fact that they scored zero or they scored more than one goal in zero games. Yeah. It, so Portland was... Definitely one of those teams that was majorly tinkering with their lineups and trying to figure out which young players they want to get in their system. Morgan Weaver is that player who really shined and scored the um, quarterfinal goal. The only goal of the quarterfinals, to as crazy as that is. Um, but yeah, Portland, I think that was a, a huge trial and an error type of lineups that we saw. I really, really enjoyed seeing uh, Angela Salem, Catherine Reynolds, too veterans of the league who I think are just super underappreciated really um, rise up to the occasion and I've said this on more than one occasion but Raquel Rodriguez looked like she didn't even switch teams this year she looked like she had been a Portland thorn for the last five years because of how she just clicked and connected with everyone and how good she was I just to me I I voted for her as my MVP of the tournament it was tough picking between her and Rachel Daly but for the Mm -hmm. uh for the NWSL awards I I picked Rocky Rodriguez just because of how consistently good she was. Next, we got to move on to the Thorns' friends in Cascadia, the Old Rain FC. Uh, Sasha, how how satisfied were you with your with your rain? You know, let's just stick to talking about their kits because those are great. The results, <laughs> the results, not so much. I mean, there's, I mean, if you, I, watching them, there were a lot of like. Like I was very opportunistic, right? I, like I said before, I was I was skeptical about how, how good they would be, and they'd show like glimpses of goodness, and then I don't know. And then, like on the last day of the tournament, like everything was still so close, they were able to jump up a whole bunch of spots, but you know they didn't get, they couldn't make it past the first round of playoffs, you know, or elimination. So I don't know. They definitely weren't. They don't feel like as good as they were last year. And last year they had a lot of injuries. What what went wrong for the rain in this tournament? I mean, besides the the absences, I 
I think that they're just getting used to a new coach and there is a language barrier with Fareed Benstidi. I think because I'm, you need to think about it too. These teams did not have a legitimate preseason. They maybe had like a week of preseason and then they were heading off to Utah. So there was definitely um, kind of an adjustment there. I think, you know, with so many players that came back from injury, I think Fareed Benstidi might have been overwhelmed with what he had. And then, of course, he's trying to bring in his um, pieces that are that he wants to work. Alana Cook came from uh, loan from Lyon. And then, of course, Shirley Cruz, a legend for the Costa Rican national team, someone he's coached for at least over five years at both PSG and Lyon. He brought her into the mix because he wanted to have some familiarity. He wanted a player that he knew was consistent and can do well. I thought she was good in the tournament. I wanted her to do more. I am kind of not secretly at all a Shirley Cruz stand, so I wanted her to <laughs> score so badly. And Sasha, I will take the blame because OL Reign is also my team and and I think it's because I did not get my Shirley Cruz jersey in the mail until after the tournament. So I didn't get to wear it for the games. Um, <laughs> I didn't get my my rain like uh, pride scarf until after the tournament. So I'm also to blame. Okay, we'll, we'll share the blame on that one. Um, yeah, I think they're just kind of getting used to a new coach. And I think, you know, Ben Steedy inherited a lot of players. And I think now he's trying to figure out, okay, who works in my system and who maybe needs to you know, be on the outs, maybe they're just not clicking with me. Speaking of not clicking, we should discuss the Royals, who, playing at home, started strong. Two games unbeaten, four goals scored, uh, and that was it. No more goals scored the entire tournament, out on penalties, just nothing working for them with their chances. But I love Amy Rodriguez, so we're not going to badmouth any. And <laughs> we, I won't tolerate she, any Amy Rodriguez slander because I feel like she is just I, like she's so good, and she's this good after having two kids, after being away from the national team for so long, and for being on no offense, kind of a mediocre team that is Utah. And to be honest with you, and I might get some get some flack for this, but. I understand Kelly O'Hare is popular. I understand she's a U.S. Women's National Team player. Um, I think she lost their quarterfinal game for them. I think that she was really bad when she was in the game. I think they should have just stuck with, um, you know, I understand they had that injury to Elizabeth Ball, which absolutely sucked because she had such a good tournament after kind of entering the league last year as this no-name player, and now she's one of Craig Harrington's best players. But I understand that there was that injury, but I don't know. I just think that Kelly O'Hara was not good, and it's it. I understand like they have the contracts and the um, allocated contracts and everything with U.S. Soccer, but you know you don't always need to play the national team players, Mm-mm. especially when they're not good. Um, you have other players for that reason, and I think I think Craig Harrington is definitely looking at her performances and you know I don't think Kelly O'Hara has been 100% healthy since 2015 so I think they need to just figure that out before they actually get her back on the pitch again but yeah Utah really really let up in this tournament as Sasha said about the rain though those jerseys though those Royals jerseys oh the mountains you you know that I got a Ziera King jersey you know that I got it because like she came in in that first game against Houston Dash subbed in and like got them the draw like to be to sub in and be a, like she pretty much acted like a super sub and that was amazing for like her first minutes to for that to be the result 
She's I'm, I'm, amazing. <laughs> I'm hoping that they change the jersey next year only so that this one goes on discount. So, because <laughs> I really want it, but I've got too many. Uh, let's talk about Sky Blues, where Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer said they are not the Sky Blues of old and pointed to their comeback after going down 3 0 to the Red Stars in a game that, I mean, eventually knocked them out of the tournament. Uh, but still, they. they clawed back two goals and that is not something the old sky blues would have done yeah i think the growth from sky blue has just been so good um and so just like absolute like that's the that's the stories you want to see in the nwsl those success stories i think that they had a really decent tournament i think mccall zerboni coming in there and pairing her in a midfield with sarah woldmo formerly sarah killian was just a genius idea from GM Elise LaHue and from Coach Freya Coombe. I think that that partnership really, really helped Sky Blue. And it made you think, like, Carly Lloyd who? Um, I would have <laughs> loved to see Mallory Pugh with this team. Obviously, she was out with an injury uh, for the Challenge Cup. But I think that um, Ify Anamanu, she had a really, really good tournament. I like that she's a starter for Sky Blue. I hope she retains that spot because um, I really thought that she could have done more with Portland and O.L. Reign, uh, formerly just Rain FC last year. Um, but I thought... I thought Sky Blue had a decent tournament. I think, de- I mean, defense, they had to put Mitch Purse on the defense because of how depleted they were. They lost um, Mandy Freeman, Madison Tieran, and then Caprice Didasco tore her ACL before the tournament began, uh, which was devastating also because I wrote a feature story on her before the tournament began. So I don't know if I cursed her, and if I did, I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> Stop writing. I mean, Why are I you know, more players? <laughs> I know all these players are probably like, stop writing about me (laughs) um but i think like sky blue was literally they had every part of their defense bandaged up and they there was nothing else that they could do so yeah i understand people you know yelling about wanting midge purse in the midfield and the attack and i get that but at the same time you had to play her on defense because i mean amani dorsey also played on defense too because of how depleted they were they did however had had we're gonna Oh, sorry. I was going to say, mention Paige Monahan. Like, it took him 20 minutes to wake up against Chicago, but, like, when she came online, she was, like, cracking it against the bar because she was hungry for the win. And, like, I loved watching her at this tournament. Yeah, she had a really good season last year, and then this year she she stepped it up at the Challenge Cup, too. We're going to take 10 minutes for our in-depth episode for our Patreon patrons this week and talk about the Houston Dash in some detail. So right now, let's talk about them, but uh, let's uh, let's only spend like a couple of minutes on them. They are, I mean, talk about a story, right? Like changing up their lineup before this tournament through trades, defeating the player who left them, Kilia Watt, uh, you know, decided to leave after several years, as you were re- referencing before, she's she's... Doesn't get to lift the trophy because she did that. Uh, Rachel Daly being the top scorer of the tournament, the MVP of the tournament. And, the, you know, we, we, we talked about uh, Paul Riley's under persistent underdog story. Houston are the real underdog story. And turns out they were talking about it before the tournament. Apparently, the players had read everybody's predictions, which included 538, who had them as a 7% chance of going into the finals before this tournament. So, did you expect this? 
<laughs> no, I mean, it's we renamed it the NWSL Chaos Cup for a reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Houston, I am a big Houston Dash supporter just because I feel like they get no love in the NWSL for the reason of not having U.S. women's national team players. And what angered me... Um, and, and not knocking Lori Lindsay at all, but not, what angered me during the broadcast for the final was there were so many times it was mentioned, oh, well, they don't have national team players. They don't have national team players. But yet they have Canadian national team players in Sophie Schmidt and Nichelle Prince. They have an English international in Rachel Daly. Christy Mewis is on the verge of being back on the U.S. women's national team. They have national team talent. It's just not U.S. women's national team talent. And, you know, I'm not knocking the U.S. women's national team at all, but, like, I like seeing players that you don't expect and who aren't maybe the the popular the the sexiest nwsl players out there like it to me it was fun watching the real underdogs of the nwsl win the tournament because it was just one of those things that yeah nobody expected it but i don't think like I don't think James Clarkson gets the appreciation he deserves, too. I mean, he really took the team and saw that there were issues last year, traded away some, you know, quote-unquote problem players like Amber Brooks, who got, like, a yellow card almost every game. Um, and you get a really good CB in Megan Oyster, who played the final with broken, broken ribs, ribs. which crap. is just, yeah. like, I know. I, listen, my, <laughs> I kneel for like 10 minutes at church and my knees hurt. So like, I can't imagine that. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, Houston's so underappreciated and I'm glad that they're finally getting, you know, a little bit of love that they deserve. And again, I'll, I'll refer everybody to our Patreon episode. If you're a $5 patron or more, you get to listen to it. Uh, I will also shout out the fact that Houston Dash had a reverse drive through parade where they stood on a stage and uh, everyone else drove by. Pretty cool. I would have done that. I would have done that. That, would, that sounds like a lot of fun. I hope. I mean, I hope. I, sh I shouldn't. I shouldn't say these things. It's it's too early. like you know I'm tempting fate when I say things. No, like, don't so, do it, Nutch. Don't do it, Nutch. Okay, yeah, no, I, it's please. Yeah, I I'm not. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> you thought it though. You thought it. <laughs> Damn it, uh, Rachel. So two questions to round out uh, this segment. Number one, do you think this should happen again in 2020 uh, or again next year? Oh, um, yeah, sorry. I thought you were going to ask the second question, too. Um, uh, yeah, I think it is. I think the, you know, and long rant kind of compressed into maybe a minute or two. I don't think the NWSL is ready for a U.S. Open Cup like the men's leagues have because you have MLS, the USL, um, a bunch of, you know, a few leagues participating in this. But the league underneath the NWSL and nothing, no disrespect to the WPSL, they are a great developmental league, but that's what they are. They're a developmental league. There are kids that are in like high school that play on these leagues. So yeah. I don't think it, it would be fair to match, like have an open cup like that. But I think having kind of a faux open cup or like an ICC that is, you know, tailored just to the NWSL to have a mini competition during a, a season. I mean, if it works with the US Open Cup, it, it could work with in the NWSL with the Challenge Cup. Um and yeah, I don't think the ICC is enough because the International Champions Cup, um, as we know, it's one NWSL team that participates. So you have 
now going to be nine teams being left out as we're adding in Louisville. So yeah, I think having kind of a, a mini competition is definitely good, especially if you do it um, during international breaks. I think that would give the chance for younger players to really like stake their claim and, and make a name for themselves. I, I like that look on, on outlook on it, which is that it 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 is a an opportunity for a different group of people to to shine now. You mentioned Louisville, who are coming in next year, but we've also got the LA announcement that happened during this tournament. Uh, I'm going to ask you to compress a lot into a very quick answer because we're running a little <laughs> late. But um, what are your thoughts on this LA news and Commissioner Lisa Baird's work so far? Because she's got a lot of praise through this tournament as well. Yeah, I can compress Lisa Baird's answer to just she's awesome, support her, and she needs to be highlighted more in the world of commissioners and major league sports. Um, she's fantastic, and she's very easy to talk to as well. Um, and to, to answer your first question, yeah, the expansion of any kind is exciting. I think when you're talking about you know cities in the United States that deserve a soccer team, Los Angeles has to be at the top of your list. It's a big city and hopefully that they're they're able to, you know, garner enough interest. I mean, literally all of Holly female Hollywood owns them, so I don't <laughs> think they'll have a problem getting the seats full. Um but at the same time, you know, it's cool because the Sky Blue was going to partner with the Red Bulls this year and you know they're in a metropolitan area that's like what 15 minutes outside of New York City. You've got a team in Chicago, you've got a team in Seattle and well outside of Seattle and in Portland. So you're really hitting these big cities and you know Louisville might not be the hot spot destination like LA but they're still a really good soccer city and I think that they are just you know bustling with all this energy and, and ready to jump in dive into the deep end when they enter the NWSL. So all expansion is exciting um, in the NWSL. I want to see more and I want to see it in Pittsburgh. I mean, we've, we've talked about have wanting it in, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and maybe we should round out this uh, segment by uh, discussing what the name of the team in the Twin Cities should be. Uh, I'm hoping for CSKA uh, Minneapolis or um, <laughs> Borussia St. <Saint> Paul. <laughs> Gladbach, um, St. Paul Wednesday, St. <laughs> Paul No Fear, right? Or you got the old rain, New St. Paul. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I was thinking Minneapolis Twisters. Ooh, I like, I like that. that. Not bad. I don't you, know. You could do the Minnesota Single Childs because you got the twins, you know. So. <laughs> um, the Lunettes. <laughs> Twister just sounds like we're putting the spin moves on everybody so we have to get people with good techers I mean I I was also thinking like what else do we have a lot of in the Twin Cities and we have a lot of golf courses but that doesn't lend itself well Um, if you get you could have a Lindsay Vaughn themed Minnesota Doves because of Prince Prince team theme team just purple all purple everything <laughs> just move, move the Orlando Pride up to Minnesota and we'll change the name. You could go with with a Mary Tyler Moore themed team, and if I was old enough to actually know any Mary Tyler Moore references, <laughs> I would make them right now. Um, I want a green kit, though. I appreciate your purple reference for Prince, but I want a green kit. So green, huh? That that'd yes. be Pittsburgh's. Pittsburgh's can be green. No, we're black and gold. <laughs> 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 Come on, Caleb. I- 
Well, yeah, if, if we're going know. with green, the, 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 the squirrel that's the mascot of the Minnesota State Fair, or is that a gopher? I don't know. Anyway, it wears a green suit. <laughs> so it could be a, a State Fair-themed team. Team on a stick? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're, we're pretty bad at this, so obviously they're not going to approach us. They'll approach someone who's worse. It's uh, better than Charlotte <laughs> FC. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> oh, 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 I got it. Minnesota FC. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Minnesota, you're not... No, damn it. Uh, well, Rachel, thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we will have you back the next time we have some NWSL happenings to talk about, hopefully a preseason or something of the sort soon. Uh, Rachel's analysis on the NWSL can be found on Equalizer, and she's also on their podcast, Equalizer Soccer, which she referred to while uh, in her segment. So go check those out. Uh, we're going to talk MLS next. Stay tuned. But now it's time for us to turn to the major listing service where we buy our houses well, one house that got a lot weaker this week is Atlanta United, who decided to get themselves a replacement for Joseph Martinez. They were like, we need a player who makes a statement. We've been humiliated. We've had to fire our coach. Okay, mutual consent, as you remind me, Caleb, so many times. I know. Can I just badmouth Atlanta without being corrected about it? Jeez. No one's Until giving me a thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so Atlanta was like, we, you know, we have been, our name has been dragged through the mud. We have been unfairly maligned and the power of this dark force of American soccer shall be unleashed. We shall go and we shall get the greatest striker this earth has ever known. The league will quake when they hear the name of Kubo Torres and his four goals in two years. I mean, that's more than Joseph Martinez has this year. So, like, they are improving. I'm pretty sure at this point you put Joseph Martinez with a torn ACL on the pitch, he'd probably score more than Kubo Torres would. So Does that count as a nice thing? I I don't know. Was, is it? <laughs> I did praise Joseph You're Martinez. Thousand dollars? Holy shit! Yeah, I mean, yeah. He could be the he could be their next Robin Lud, and people don't know if I'm insulting him or complimenting him. You know, ordinarily I don't like ragging on players who have had success in the past and are in a dry spell. It kind of seems mean, but like. What do you sign for Atlanta United? You make an enemy of me, okay? Kubo, I'm sorry. All right? <laughs> You're on the list. Right. So, um, yeah. Uh, dude comes from Tijuana, and he's kind of been bouncing around after he left uh, the uh, Dynamo. Yeah. Formerly of Houston. And, Played pretty well for Houston, too. Was he at Club uh, Merita, or was it Chivas? He was at Pumas in Tijuana recently. He'd played in the past for Cruz Azul, for okay. Guadalajara, and of course for Chivas USA back in the day. Uh, so I, I remember when he was like banging them in um, for Chivas USA and for that one season in Houston in 2017 in his in his second stint there, he did really well. But uh, them goals done dried up, as they say in um, some place where they say that. So yeah, not impressed with that and which makes me very happy see this is this is good anytime there's bad news for atlanta i fucking love it and you know who knows maybe he'll score like 500 goals for them i don't know but right now i have a small piece of joy in these trying times you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying yeah okay well let's leave me with a small piece of joy let's go into a break we shall return with the actual games for mls
Welcome back to We Call It Soccer. We left you on a joyful note. Atlanta United doing poorly. Let's take a second and think about that again for a minute. <sighs> right? Yeah. It's nice. It is nice. All right. Let's move on now to discussing the uh, MLS is back quarterfinals. You think just just keep adding things like the MLS is back backer semifinal. MLS is backest final. And then MLS is gone post-tournament, you know. All of these sponsored by Heineken. Right. And 5G, 5G AT&T. And then 4 local. Okay. Oh, All no. Right. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it, <laughs> it's back. It would be appropriate. It would be an appropriate, you know, sponsor for the, how crazy this tournament is. Uh, speaking of uh, for local, one team that seemed to have spiked their Gatorade with it was Philadelphia, who took on Sporting Kansas City, came out three-one winners. Uh, a definitive display by the Union, or a definitive, if you would, if you, if you will. Yeah, uh, Kansas City really didn't show up it seemed like uh they were torn apart for the first two goals uh one from uh jimmy martero and one the other one from sergio santos and just kind of torn apart through passing and not and just quick ball movement and caught the defenders were caught ball watching and so, on sergio santos's first goal it was just they had no one back on a f- offensive free kick he just out got the ball on a deflection and outran all the defenders um, his second goal, which came off of a beautiful Brendan Aronson uh, pass, who seems earmarked for Germany or a European league over there now. He's only, what, 19, and he's just bossing. He's only 19, but right his now. mind is older. Sure. Is that a <laughs> reference to something? I don't, I'm, I'm what? That. You don't know Mob Deep, dude? I don't know that one. I'm only 19, but my mind is older when the things get for real. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. It's yeah. all good. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kansas City did bring one back through Alan Polito. And thought I had another one back, but Johnny Russell was very offside. He was out of bounds. That's how offside he was. So Kansas yeah. City just basically poor defending and getting picked apart by passing and pace led to their demise. There was a moment after the first two goals were scored... Uh, Peter Vermees was mic'd over on the sideline during the hydration break and every other word was fuck. So he was having a great time. <laughs> Let us move along uh, talking about NYCFC and the team that Philadelphia are playing right now as we speak, Portland, who came out also 3-1 winners against NYCFC. The Timbers knocking down the pigeons and the tree they were sitting in. Yeah, Jesus Medina drew penalty early on for NYCFC to give them a lot of hope, and he scored that penalty. Clear penalty by Laris Mabiala. Um, but the, everything was going right for New York City FC until Blanco equalized at ha- right before halftime. And then Valeri came on at halftime as a super sub, and Portland just ran away with it. Uh, Valeri and Nisdota teamed up in the box for a Valeri goal. Then Andy Polo with an absolute streamer and a uh, an interesting celebration. That was uh, I I gotta say it was the both of those goals are gorgeous shots and Gio Savarese's reactions in this game uh, wonderful to look at. The man looks so happy. He looks so happy. 
you know, after so many years of success with the Cosmos, you'd think he'd just be like, oh, winning, who cares? I'm good at this. But he just looks like, you know, a child when you've given them their first, like, lollipop or, like, a cat or a dog. Um, that's how happy he looks, you know? And I, it's just nice. I hope we don't have to play them because I wouldn't want to knock that smile off his face. Of course I would. But still, he's just a happy man, Gio Sabarese. Um, and that is nice. Holden's definitely earning the, the, the reputation of being a second-half team. And I have to say, it's kind of criminal that New York has made it this far with their shitty defense and Portland completely exploited it. Uh, something else from this game that we should talk about was that this game had the first VAR call where the referee's comments with the match official were broadcast. And we also saw that in the Minnesota United game later. Uh, you can hear the the VAR official tell the referee, okay, now you're going to go live. And then you can hear the conversation. I really enjoyed it, guys. It is so, so fantastic to hear... Uh, what is actually being looked at? Because sometimes you hear the commentators being like, they're looking at a handball. They're looking at a hand. Oh, it's just offside like two minutes before the handball or or something like that. And instead, we get to hear exactly what they're looking at. Um, you know, I could see a situation in which when we're in a stadium and this is happening, someone texts you and says, okay, this is what happened. So even if you're in a stadium, you find out, you know, what's going on with VAR. Um, PRO put out a great explainer of all their VAR calls this week, uh, which I've, I've retweeted from the united fans twitter account which i also appreciate just goes to show you i feel like that mls is doing var right in my opinion i don't know if you guys agree um and var does not have to be something that is a blight on the game um one of the calls for example this week took 12 seconds to adjudicate so um i i am i am seeing a lot of anti-var sentiment because of what happens in england i don't agree with that I think on this side of the pond, I completely agree with you that like VAR has helped people like see the other side of the picture. And when you when you show like play the audio, it's complete transparency, and you can convert even like you know the diehard Sounders fans to be like, okay, yeah, that was a foul. All right, let's uh, let's keep chugging along uh, and talk about Orlando City versus LAFC, the shocking, shocking game where. Orlando managed to d- scramble the entire bracket. Everybody had LAFC winning everything. And uh, there's only one reaction I had when I saw the score. Oh, no. Nani? Nani? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> this really um, hurts me. This really hurts me. <laughs> Bradley Wright Phillips opened it up in the 33rd minute. Or did he? Nani? Goal got called off. And so uh, everyone being like, oh, of course, LAFC scored early. Here they go. Uh, Not so. Then in the 55th minute, Ruan gets brought down by Palacios in the box and uh, ref calls a penalty for Orlando. So who's going to take it? Of course he is. And then Nani gets his penalty saved by Vermeer. Nani? So then, okay. A lot of drama, and just three minutes later, just three minutes later, Bradley Wright Phillip opens it back up in the 60th minute right afterwards. Uh, no, no, Nani sound effect. That was like the most predictable thing in this game, I think. And then uh, in, the, in the 90th minute, you know, we're, we're all thinking like LAFC is through, goodbye Orlando, no more magic in the kingdom, and all that, you know, like insert Mickey Mouse references here. Uh, 
But no. Nani. Nani puts in a, a ball in a corner. And then guess what? Moutinho scores. Nani. And then he, Moutinho, he's a former LAFC draft pick. Man, 1 1 the score, and they go straight into penalties because MLS is like, none of that extra time bullshit. We're going straight to penalties. There's a good stuff for you. And LAFC missed their second penalty, uh, it hits the bar. But just you wait. Vermeer in the fourth Orlando penalty, he manages to get a hand to it, Nani. but it goes in. So anyway, that 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 was that was it. I I hope you enjoy that. They'll make an anime about this someday, I think. You know, uh, and and I gotta say, the guy who knocked in that last penalty that won Orlando this game, it was na 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 na. No, it was Nani. Anyway, what what just happened? Uh, that was me enjoying myself a whole hell of a lot. Um, I edit this podcast by myself, you know, alone in a room. Uh, Do you smell toast? And Do you guys uh, smell yeah. toast? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think this game is brought to you by Four Loco and uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> the, you know there are entire compilations on YouTube of, of anime characters saying, Nani? Uh, in different ways. It's pretty great. I had to go back and match all of what I just set up with like different inflections of that word. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, yeah. Uh, it, but but I, we're getting away from ourselves. Did you guys... Was this something you expected? What was your reaction to seeing this game uh, unfold? This is like the ultimate, you know, the cherry on top of this is the Mickey Mouse Cup. Like fucking Orlando goes through and ruins everyone's bracket. Like, nobody expected the Dash to win NWSL. Nobody expected Orlando to be still in this fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> it made me even more worried about the San Jose-Minnesota game. I'm like, oh, Minnesota can actually go to the final now because I feel like Orlando's a lot more beatable than LAFC was. And Orlando hasn't lost yet. It's, it's a weird thing I'm saying in my mind. But, yeah. Minnesota I, I... in the semifinal. A lot more exciting now in the... Heath Cup, I guess we're calling it. Oh no, that the is Heath a Darby? bad name. Please, no. We can find a better name for this stuff, like Jamie Watson Trophy or something like that, or the We Got Rid of Dom Dwyer Trophy or something like that. I don't know. Like, Heath, Heath has never lost to Orlando. Just yeah, but out there. you know, the, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, let us let you can't be hopeful, Caleb. You were telling me not to be hopeful. Now I've internalized oh. it, and you're being hopeful. What I'm, the hell, man? I'm not making predictions. Anyway, let's move on to a segment that we call "Some Might Say." In this segment, we talk about Minnesota United FC and find a few things we might want to say about them. Uh, we played San Jose. We beat them four-one convincingly. Unfortunately for San Jose, John Champion called out their lucky yellow shorts at kickoff. Uh, not so lucky. Yeah, uh, two goals in 90 seconds for the Loons. Both come off of Sonny Dotson's foot somehow. Uh, first one comes off of Sonny Dotson to Aha over to Lude. Then Dotson again, 90 seconds later. Shoots from the outside of the box. Veda, who is not a goalkeeper at all, 
It's a very juicy rebound, and then Jadori Hayes just pops it right into the top of the net. Um, Sonny Dotson started started at right back for the injured Roman Metinair, who pulled up with a hamstring issue in the last game against Columbus, and played extremely well on the as right back. He had a hand in three of the four Minnesota goals. Caleb, you keep on saying this name, Dotson. Is there, if there was a sound clip, like, Dotson, Dotson. We have Dotson here. I had to do it. What? From Jurassic I'm, Park. I've Am I... never seen Jurassic Park. Not me. <laughs> I, I spiked real hard there that was better than any sound effect I could put in there I just take that out and edit it into the previous Orlando uh, game that's such a sad naughty though I, I feel like I disappointed Sasha <laughs> extremely and I feel most very bad about it the, the opposite of disappointment is how our reaction should be to all of Minnesota United's off-season signings after this game because we had goals from Hayes uh, we had a goal from Harrison. We had a goal from Amaria. Raheem Edwards has been great for this team uh, earlier as well. So uh, that was that was fun. Big Celery doing a great job in this tournament as well. He did manage to send one straight over the bar uh, after and and after sending one straight at Daniel Vega in this game. But you know what? It's fucking three one. Do whatever you want, man. Big Celery, uh, you're you're just great. I would say that there were some hot mics with him because I caught him and how steamed he was every time he didn't make a goal. <laughs> yeah, I kind of go back to John Champion calling out San Jose's lucky yellow shorts. As Luis was dribbling into the box, he mentioned about how he was not the talismanic player that we saw early in the season or had the finishing still he had we saw, we saw early in the season. As he finished that sentence, Luis scored. There it is! It's like the ultimate commentator's uh, jinx right there, working in our favor. And yeah, yeah. And Harrison got his first goal as a loon. Uh, threat assist this time from Simon Dots instead of the hockey helpers. Um, so Troy Hayes started in, in, in midfield instead of uh, uh, Kevin Molino, who still hasn't played. Might is a, I think, fit for the Orlando game. Betonair remains a game time decision. But honestly, if Dotson has the game, he plays as well as he did in this game, it'll be just fine. Yeah, very much so. Uh, something that we do need to discuss uh, with a bit more seriousness than maybe we've spent in some of this podcast is the fact that um, Brett Kalman chose to wear, wear a end racism t-shirt as opposed to all of his teammates and fellow coaches who are wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. And was also set to stand during the national anthem. As you can imagine, this was something that kicked up a bit of a conversation on social media. Um, For the most part, very respectful. But I will say that if you look into the histories of a lot of the accounts that are tweeting support for Kalman and, and appreciating what he did... They are also expressing a lot of messages that stand in stark contrast to those expressed by Minnesota United FC, the Black Players Coalition, and us. So, you know, usually in these circumstances, I go on a long rant. I'm not going to this time. What do you guys think? I think it's simple enough to say that we have players from all over the world, and in that picture, there those international players are taking the... And our local boy is not, and that should that should tell you everything you need to know. 
It's very disappointing, especially with um, Ike being one of the leaders of the uh, Black Players Coalition, one of the, like, I don't know, board members or founders or helped bring it, the players together and to do this. And there are a lot of uh, Black American players on our team and Black um, international players on our team. And to not just... That's, not show solidarity. Yeah, with show solidarity and to wear a different shirt that's against the mess, not against the message, but a different message that the entire league is wearing, that your coach is wearing, and to stand on the anthem or not take a knee with your teammates. It's very disappointing to see from Brent Coleman, a, a player who's been with us for so long, to see that he just doesn't get it. He doesn't. If he had, if it's he doesn't get that it's not about his voice. His voice is not important. He tried to make it important. And that's and that's not being a, an ally. I, I feel like a lot of the folks that you would ask about something like this would probably say something about their convictions and their beliefs. And I think when you have, like you were saying, Caleb, someone who's founded the BPC on your team, when he plays the same position as you, when he's unable to be at this tournament, you know, um, come on, man. Are you, is, is it really that important not to wear a shirt now with the national, you know, I'll be blunt guys with the national anthem thing. Like I, that's one of those things. That's a personal decision has a lot of angles to it. I, I come from a different country. Uh, originally right so like my views on patriotism and like the national anthem are kind of maybe perhaps a little bit culturally different than yours so maybe that's the reason why i i think it's important to acknowledge the people who do choose to take a- action against the national anthem and why they're protesting but if you as a player choose not to do that because of you know whatever blah blah your choice i i'm not going to be one of those everybody's got to kneel folks but when you choose not to wear a message that says black lives matter what the hell can I say to you, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. When and, you're to the well, right of the NFL, <laughs> yeah. and Adrian Heath, who has is self-admitted to be like uh, to be more cons- on the conservative side of politics, he's wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt that, honestly, just my man does not look good in the Black Lives or, or Black T-shirt, just the Black T-shirt in general. And that that neck of that T-shirt, I, how he did it so wide, I don't understand. But he's still wearing it. And it's because we're undefeated in it. <laughs> that's probably not the reason why, but <laughs> because he stands behind his players. Yeah. Yeah. And he understands that they're the important ones in this moment. They're the ones that should be supported. I, I, I just want to say, yeah. Go yeah. go ahead, yeah. Sasha. I was gonna say the last thing about this is like his message on his shirt, and this is the contradiction in it, it says end racism. If he truly believe that he would be humble enough to wear a black light a black Lives matter shirt at this time in history at this point at this place yeah and that's that's all i have to say 100 percent. and i think i'll i'll, I'll echo uh caleb again but it's just it's just sad man dude's coming back from a fucking suspension i was excited to see him like on the pitch like why you gotta d- introduce some drama in our lives with that like it's it's just, and, and part of me wonders whether this is it for him and this team. 
you know like whether him being thinking that this was a good idea is a sign that his future with the team has been made clear with him or or lack thereof and so he's he's less inclined to kind of quote-unquote take one for the team or just you know fit in um and on that on the front with with what i should say we're, we're talking like he was like asked to like wear some sort of like manacle around his neck or something where instead of like a very positive message a very positive message supporting many members of his own team exactly um, but what might uh be forcing that move out is uh mr netted have a new player uh malian yeah. center back bakaye debasi uh, from relegated league Unside Amiens, um, possible replacement for Brent or competition for Aha and maybe Botsal. And then I, as great as he is, is a bit injury prone and has settled this tournament. If he chooses to sit out the rest of the season because of COVID issues, this just shores up that defense even more. Doesn't put all the pressure on Botsy and Aha, and and he can cover Chase, who has been has been brilliant in the tournament so far. But one of the things we were worried about drafting him was that he was injury prone. Remember, he missed the first few games because of injury of his rookie season. So this just shores up the defense, adds more depth. And I think that answers our question of from our Slack from Chris. Debassi's uh, speculation is Talman out, is Ike out, can we panic about anything? How many games do we see Chase at left back and Debassi at left wing? I don't think you will see Debassi at left wing, but it's Adrian Heath putting the lamp together, so who knows? Um, but I think it's Tallman on the way out, honestly. Yeah, I mean, his contract's I'm, up, I think, next year. I'm not sure. Mike's D submitted as a question about Angel City FC, which we talked about in our NWSL segment earlier. Uh, we did not get to the question that he asked about um, the rumored NWSL partnership with the Australian Women's League. How about when the rumors get a little bit more strong, we ask Rachel about it and, and get you her opinion, okay, as well. Um, let us move along. Uh, some few bits of news. We'll talk about this game in some detail next week, but Portland has beaten Philadelphia Union in the semifinals, so Portland are a finalist. Uh, also, Don Garber, during this game, announcing that MLS will return playing the regular season after this tournament is over. It's a bad idea. No idea about fans. However, bad I idea. have seen people echoing Caleb's sentiment on social media. Bubbles work. Playing outside of bubbles don't doesn't work. This is stupid. MLS should know better. Ask the Marlins and the Cardinals how great traveling is. Or just the USL in general. Yeah. I mean... To those who are left. If, if you're desperate to play more games, man, have a second bubble somewhere. Like, that, that, that is the price of this. You know? You, 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 you can't... You can't pull some fucking shit out of your ass, dude. Like, this is... I was disappointed to see the St. Paul Saints opening up their stadium to people. And I, I just feel so disappointed everywhere I look these days. Anyway. Um, 1,400 people died of COVID today. Just today. In this country. Anyway. Uh, Alright, let's, uh, let's keep moving. 
Um, let's move on to a segment we call Ludicrous Display. Ray, he's kicked the ball. Now the ball's over there. The thing about the Premier League is that they always try to walk it in, and in this segment we talk about the latest from the United Kingdom, uh, where they had the most expensive game in footy, where the championship playoff occurred, the game with where the, pl- the winner goes up to the Premier League, and the loser is Brentford. <laughs> and it's always that way. Brentford always loses. They're the sis- they're the Sisyphus of English League football. Right, right. And all all the goals came in extra time. This really was a kind. This was a shit game for ninety minutes. It really was. Uh, Joe Byram, the left back for Fulham, went full ham instead of half ham, and scored two goals. Um, one the goal the opening goal was just a honestly a defensive shit show. Um, just to watch it, it's 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 real bad. It's like NASL like defending. Uh, then Henrik Dahlsdard got a consolation goal for Brentford in the 124th minute of the game. Obviously left not enough time on the board for Brentford. The Bees are back in the championship for next year. Fulham will have the joys of being beaten down by everyone in the next, in the Premier League because they have very little time to, to build a team that will be competitive, and I think they'll go straight back down. Uh, but that's not the most important game on this podcast right now because the FA Cup final was won by Sasha. Before we get into that, I will say it's worth noting Fulham has a long history of developing U.S. men's national team players, including Clint Dempsey and Casey Keller. So there is some reason to be excited about them Yo, moving back uh, up. Tim Ream is there and Luca <laughs> De La Torre. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you guys, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I got I to gotta give a go, give a shout out to my man, Brian McBride, who who played at Fulham. Casey Keller. He was Marcus really good Hanneman. at backyard soccer. Eddie Lewis, Eddie Johnson, Emerson High. Okay, let me leave him out. I mean, if Casey <laughs> Keller hadn't gone to Fulham, like Seattle Sounders wouldn't have been able to create, like, invent soccer in the MLS. There you go. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, FA Cup. The first, the first light shines on Arsenal since since Wenger left. Arteta uh, gets his trophy. Uh, this was a repeat. I got this wrong last week, but this was a repeat of the. Europa Cup final, Chelsea versus Arsenal, but the result was different. Arsenal won 2-1, but didn't seem that way at first because everybody's favorite American soldier, Christian Pulisic, opened the scoring in the fifth minute. Uh, sadly, he did go off injured. Um, he was shown later standing you know, standing up, looking at the sideline as his team lost. Um, so he is relatively okay. Uh, Obama Yang, uh, the player that might be leaving us soon, scored a brace. Got one PK, got the second goal, carried us across the finish line. Uh, there was a controversial red card for uh, Mateo Kovacic. I will agree that this was soft, but it, this it, was a messy game on both sides. It, it looks was... like uh, Xhaka stepped on Kovacic, and Kovacic got the, ye- <laughs> the second yellow for it. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, full speed, it probably looked a lot different. Um, Aubameyang carried you guys across the, the finish line, but also carried the cup in two halves to the team. When he lifted the cup from its mount, it like the lid fell off of it, making it the second uh, second trophy mishap in two weeks with Zenit Saint Petersburg shattering their glass Russian Premier League trophy, literally dropping it and it shattered. So at least it didn't like break in a million pieces. 
Yes. I, I think, if anything, this uh, that, that, that slight fall was representation of a manager who came between Wenger and Arteta. And uh, now that we have the trophy, we are, you know, on our way up again. Well, I, uh, I for one, congratulate, congratulate Arsenal. Uh, and uh, then I take it all away because they announced 55 redundancies and debt restructuring due to COVID-19. So, anyway, yeah, that's right. Um, and any quick final things? We we don't need to do the whole segment intro from around the world that you would like to yeah. talk about. Um, legendary goalkeeper Iker Casillas retired. Um, long career, lots of trophies. Um, much had heart issues last year. Had heart issues. He had a heart attack a couple years ago, I think. Um, but I think it was Real Madrid. He got most of his trophies for, and ended up back in Portugal. Then a fun little Atalanta fact, the Italian team, not the shit from the South. Uh, despite having scored 98, 98 goals this season, no Italian player has scored for the club. It's the first time in Serie A history. Neat. Cool. Great fact, Caleb. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, I really were tired on that one. That's I mean, I, a whole lot. I, I am happy for Atalanta. I, I, fuck! I almost had. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna. You know what? Podcast over. All right, that's it. We're not gonna go anywhere good for when I when I, that kind of shit comes out of my mouth. So why don't you guys tell the good people where they can find you on Twitter? I'm at K Olson seven one six. Special thanks to Tectonics for the use of their song "Lustless" as our theme music. Check them out on Bandcamp and SoundCloud and Facebook and stuff. Hi, Dad. I can no longer be found by by our dad because I am now at Russian Revenant. Uh, I have retired the old Twitter name. You can find me at Lockstock Spock. You can find me at Two United Fans with Caleb tweeting out from there. As always, thank you to our patrons, including our league commissioner tier patron Eric Olson. We do appreciate your support uh, every every week. Uh, again, please tell your friends about this podcast. We always appreciate when we get more listeners. With that, it's time for us to bid you goodbye. See you next week, everyone. See you.